Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today was a typical nine to five employee, and then he moved into video production. And somewhere along the line, he discovered that there is a better life out there. And uh, rather than usually most people come up with a, a solution for a problem where they say, you know, there's got to be a better way to deal with this. And, and his way was dealing with life. And then he discovered that there is a better life by traveling around the world. So instead of going into something like related to tourism, and he became an Amazon seller. So this was, um, we are now recording in August of 2023, and it was eight years ago. Since then, he's launched three private labels. And in the process, he developed a program for product launches that is called Playground Theory, which we are going to learn about today. And, and outside of work, uh, other than traveling, uh, he's into health and wellness in a deep sense that combines psychology and physical fitness. So with that, everybody, meet my guest, Vance Lee. Vance, welcome to the show, Vance. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. So we were talking earlier uh, about body and mind coming together and where does the heart fit into it and sometimes we can do with it sometimes we can do without it right <laughs> gives us a lot of, a lot of uh, pain so um okay so uh, you have a unique approach for private label sellers so tell us what that unique approach is yeah so imagine what if you could sell your inventory before producing a single unit and then hit the ground running after you launch so obviously everybody would love that. So tell us more. How does that work? So it's called a pre-order launch or pre-order launches. Yeah. So uh, as the name implies, so it, you are receiving forward orders uh, before you do anything. Uh, but with Amazon, that's a little bit, not a little bit, but I mean, you can do future release date, but it cannot be months. So it won't really give you much. So what is that? What is this Intel? Give, give us a little bit more. So essentially, it won't be first on Amazon. So you'll launch outside of Amazon on a platform, uh, for example, like Kickstarter or another one called Indiegogo, which we can talk more about later. But the idea is here is you're, you're launching first and then you have strong momentum to continue combining this with a launch on Amazon right afterwards. Okay. All right. So um, based on our discussion earlier, this is something that may be useful for a lot of private label sellers. And of course, everybody wants to minimize their inventory risk. More important, they want to start with a small amount of investment to test the market, but then they are stuck with the, the lead time and, and they have no idea what kind of demand is going to be. So what we're going to do in this episode is walk through the the timeline and the logistics and the intricate details of how to engineer this entire approach, which 
obviously you've been doing successfully for a long time. So you're going to share that with our listeners. And uh, so with that, let's uh, jump right in. So I'm planning to launch a pillow cover. That is, you know, whatever the unique aspect of it. So mm-hmm. where do I start? Walk us through. So the first thing to understand is that um, using a pre-order launch. So um, in in the e-commerce world, we call this crowdfunding. So that's the umbrella category of um, what this is under. And the two platforms that are most popular are Kickstarter and Indiegogo, like I mentioned earlier. So these are the platforms that you're going to be using the launch. And so the first thing to clarify is that this is a specifically a launch platform. So this doesn't replace Amazon. It doesn't replace Shopify. In fact, it's actually quite complimentary, like you, uh, you know, we've hinted at earlier. So the idea is that you're going to be launching this product first on, uh, let's say, Kickstarter. So I'll just say Kickstarter from now on to keep it simple. Uh, and we're going to run this campaign. Uh, and once it's successful, we get funding from this, we get cash, and then we we end up deciding we can launch on Kickstarter or, excuse me, on Amazon or on Shopify, any uh, platform of our choice. So this is the approach that we're talking about today is really just kind of like a a precursor to a launch, essentially a uh, pre-launch. And so the idea here is that we're trying to do a few things here. First, um, like you mentioned, one of the goals of this uh, pre-launch is to understand the market demand for this this product category. And uh, also, like you hinted, the idea is if we are able to be successful with this, what we're going to do is we're going to get we're going to be able to mitigate inventory risk. So the way that this platform works is that you don't you're essentially not selling the product outright to customers. So customers go onto these platforms and they understand that they're going to be pre-ordering the product. So they're going to pay for a product that doesn't exist yet. And when it gets manufactured eventually, maybe a month or a couple months later, then that's when they get shipped the product. And their uh, reward, so to speak, for supporting and participating in one of these projects is to be able to get the, the product first. So just to understand how that works, then we can kind of go into the details of what uh, what executing this could could actually look like. So the value proposition for anybody who is going to pay you a dime, because people will pay you understanding that they're going to get nothing for it for a while. Uh, and and the benefit to them is they'll be the first to receive, right? Yes. So, I mean, these these platforms actually started originally as a way to uh, support really cool and unique ideas. So a lot of these interesting uh, products that we've uh, that are now kind of uh, some of them are still around, some of them not so much. For example, Oculus Rift was a product that was on uh, Kickstarter, um, the the, um, the the 3D goggles. And so this was a kind of interesting idea at the beginning. And they wanted, you know, they didn't have enough funding to bring this to market. So the original context of these websites was to get support from uh, from from customers in advance to to actually fund the the production run, so to bring the idea to life. So that's how these platforms were originally established. But now, years later, uh, it's no longer for that anymore. A lot of people are just bringing different products to life. They don't have to be super innovative. They don't actually have to even need the money. Uh, it's in a way where people before actually needed the funds to launch the product, and now it's just being used as a unique launch strategy to be able to help people mitigate inventory risk. So to be on the platform, all you need is a working prototype and a campaign page. So this is equivalent to your product listing page on Amazon. And when you have this, you're able to to launch on this platform. So you don't actually need inventory ready. And so to answer your question, um, the people that are excited about this, they they understand that they're supporting a project. 
and they come shopping with that intent. It, so this is not the same type of intent as going to Amazon and searching for pillow covers. Um, people are kind of here and they're looking at categories they're interested in, maybe a house, you know, home decor, that type of thing. And then they come across, you know, this really interesting um, pillow cover that they, you know, in our example, um, that they, they're interested in. And that's, that's how they make this decision to want to purchase. And so the, the platform is full of people that are kind of early adopters. And because that's originally how this, uh, this platform was established for people that were excited to support new projects, new brands, uh, new business entrepreneurs. And, and this is how kind of it, it evolved from there. Yeah. So is it fair to say that this is for some, it is, I should say, it's more successful for some categories, but not all, or does it apply to anything? You can do this with anything. That's a really good question. And I've seen weird and successful products in so many different categories, um, all the way you know, from standard categories like apparel, um, you know, home and decor, those categories, uh, pets, like you see a lot of products in those categories. But I've seen products be successful in categories like um, you know, sex toys and, uh, you know, I've seen category of uh, even food. Um, so, uh, ch uh, chili hot sauce. Uh, this is actually a really cool story because, uh, there is a chef that came to us and said, Hey, uh, I want to launch this product. She has no e-commerce background and she was interested in launching a product, which is her recipe for a, a chili sauce. And so we said, Hey, why don't you consider looking at uh, Kickstarter? Because this could be a way for you to start building some momentum and building a, a community and an audience that really supports you. So she ended up launching on Kickstarter and she uh, she actually did very well. She did she raised $120,000 um in this Kickstarter launch campaign. So this is before she had to produce this hot sauce. So it, it's really interesting because as a result of this campaign, she got a lot of publicity and a lot of uh, press covering kind of like this this hot sauce and eventually she took this and she commercialized this on e-commerce. So she first brought this to Amazon. Um, she had these three SKUs that were doing really well. And uh, I mean, if you know anything, if you've ever bought hot sauce before, it's usually like this really kind of cheap item at the bottom of the grocery store shelf sure. uh, for a couple of dollars, right? Uh, she was selling this hot sauce for uh, $15 to $17 on Amazon. And wow. she was doing about $200,000 a month at that point. And it was a crazy successful campaign. Um, it, well, the campaign that led to this uh, e-commerce results. And it wasn't only Am uh, it wasn't only Amazon where she limited this to. She ended up, because she had an audience and she built a lot of excitement on Instagram, she was able to launch her own uh, Shopify store selling the hot sauces as well. And this Shopify store was getting, at the time, the last time I checked, they were at 100,000 uh, visitors every single month. So this is like a... This is a hot sauce. This isn't like an, a clothing brand. This isn't a, like a unique like product category, like an invention or like a technology piece. It's hot sauce. And so she ended up doing really well because the foundation that she built on this launch was about the community that she built and an audience that was really excited. And then she did one more thing that was really interesting, which was she used these results. So she essentially um, had this uh, pre-order launch that was very successful. She took this result and she kind of presented this to investors, so strategic um, private investors. And essentially what she said was, hey, I didn't launch this product and this already raised $120,000. And so essentially she used this as a way to get funding from investors. And she had strategic investors that helped her with retail and they brought this into uh, Walmart, Costco, 
And then uh, whole, the most difficult one to get into is Whole Foods. She got into all these stores and all of these different ways to kind of diversify her brand. And all of this really just came from uh, from the initial launch of, uh, of this Kickstarter campaign. So um, to answer your question, lots of categories to be successful, even categories that aren't really like traditionally uh, you think about as like successful e-commerce type of product categories. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you could be in any category. So the first thing you have to do, I guess, uh, if, if somebody says, okay, what do I do if I want to sell on Amazon, my private label, I say you need to create a brand registry account and then you need to create a seller central account. So uh, let's start with those logistics here. So you go to Kickstarter or Indiegogo, you mentioned. So uh, walk us through the logistics of starting. Sure. So really good question. And I think uh, in terms of starting, um, and if you're considering a launch, you would actually start in a very similar way to Amazon in terms of um, you're doing research. So we do research in a slightly different way where we don't necessarily just limit our research on Amazon. Uh, we will incorporate Amazon data, but we'll search for, you know, let's say our, our product category is um you know, like a pet product. We won't just search pet products on Amazon, um, but we'll search out successful brands that are uh, selling pet products. We might search similar product categories of um, of these pet products that are on maybe Kickstarter. And so our, our first step is always actually to do a little bit of research similar to the way you do product research on Amazon. So the idea is to start validating at a high level, is there some type of demand in this niche? And to understand is, you know, is what I'm thinking of launching going to be interesting to be able to hook the customers to uh to be interested in purchasing the product so um that's that's the way we'd start we'd start with a little bit of product research to kind of have a uh, an introductory kind of validation into thinking should we move forward with this and is that research taking place on kickstarter or amazon or both uh, Kickstarter, Amazon, and we generally like to look at successful brands in the niche as well. So um, if you're selling a pet product, you would look at, at like, let's say it's a pet electronic product or something like this. I would go, you know, I would recommend that you look for uh, maybe four or five different brands that are in the market. Uh, often they're actually off Amazon. They're, they're not really selling on Amazon uh, to, to see how they're doing. And the idea is to look at these ideas and see if there's room. If these guys are doing very well and they have a lot of traffic to their website, then it's an indicator that there's a there's an opportunity here because this product category is doing well or this um, specific product uh, niche within this product category is doing well. Okay. And in your research, because when we do research on Amazon, we're looking at keywords by volume and, and you know, sales and, um, you know, competition and things like that. So uh, share with us some practical tips for doing that research. Sure. So the volume stuff coming from Amazon is extremely valuable. So uh, the, the keyword search volume, um, things like, uh, you know, what is the estimated sales per month? Like those types of things will give you an idea of what's performing on Amazon. And so if you understand how to do that for Amazon, this is going to be very helpful for this process. Um, the other things that we try to look for in this process is we try to look for specifically um, how this product might stand out. So one, essentially we're looking for angles of potential USPs. And we look for, um, you know, we, we might go through a process of doing research on, com uh, on potential competitor reviews on uh, third-party websites, on their own website, on Amazon, 
And we start looking for whether or not there's an opportunity to distinguish this product in a way that's going to uh, to have it stand out in a way that's going to be unique and something that's going to hook the audience and uh, in, in, within this niche. So in a way, we're doing product research, uh, reviews, uh, kind of this like sentiment analysis. But really, the idea is we're looking for how can we make this product stand out and how can this hook? Uh, if we're going to be selling this on Kickstarter. So we have a bunch of frameworks that we use to go through this process, but uh, one of them uh, is essentially identifying areas to position the product so that it can either be um, positioned uniquely to the same audience. So if you find a different way to talk about the product or the benefits uh, to, in a way that that audience hasn't seen it before, that's going to be a really strong way to have it uh, be distinguished, or maybe even to present the product to a different audience. So uh, one of my favorite examples of this is uh, there's a product that I saw called um, After Socks. And so these are kind of the, the socks that have this like um, this a little slightly harder bottom sole. So you don't have to wear the shoes. So you're actually using them for hiking and it feels like you're walking on your feet and you're protecting your feet so that you can uh, you can walk around with them. So this is actually quite a popular product that exists. And um, it's, it's kind of uh, capturing the um, the movement of people that want to walk and uh, and feel this like free movement on their feet. So, anyways, uh, there is a Kickstarter campaign that took this product concept and almost uh, almost launched the exact same product, but they launched it in uh, towards a different niche. So they actually positioned this towards um, women, and they called this um, after socks. And the idea was that this product is going to be something that you carry in your purse for when you go out and you party or you're, you know, you're wearing high heels so that you can take off your heels and then you can put on these socks. And so you don't have to walk around with the heels afterwards after the night out. So they essentially took a, a product that existed and positioned it to a different audience that clearly needed it. So there's many different ways to change the way that you position a product and have it to stand out. Um, that's one of them is just to simply point it to a different audience and find a different way to sell it to that audience. And recently, another good example of this is um, I saw a campaign that raised about $90,000 for their launch, and they called this natural towels or something like this. But the idea was these are just extra, extra, extra large towels, and they sold it as body positive towels for people that are bigger. And for me, that's, I'm looking at this, it's like, this is just a really big towel. And you just raised $90,000 with, uh, with positioning this in a way that's just acceptable to a certain audience that's going to be interested in in purchasing it. And I think that's genius. It's a really, really intelligent thing to do. And so essentially what we're looking here for is an opportunity to position the product in a different way. So this is what the product research for. Um, there's a few things that I haven't mentioned yet. For example, uh, you know, we might be able to change the material slightly. So adding interesting, cool materials, um, changing the aesthetic design a little bit, but all these are things that we, we learn from the research process to be able to identify how can we actually create a product that's going to stand out a little bit more. And Amazon sellers are doing this to some capacity uh, currently. And you know, the, the goal is to see how we can actually do this and create a really interesting product that's defensible. And it's, uh, you know, even if it's not necessarily 100% unique to find some subset of an audience or market that you can sell this to that gets them excited. So, so what I'm hearing is really at the end of the day, this is about doing research in general, not necessarily keyword, etc. But what you're looking for is something that 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 you find, a, if you like, a, a vacuum for where there is a need and there is an audience, not necessarily a unique product, so to speak but could be an existing product, existing space, but a unique audience and, and create a version of 
whatever already exists, uh, or really it's a, another word, uh, creating a different version of it, maybe maybe uh, a different ingredient or different material, different, whatever uh, context, or even just uh, the positioning of it in terms of yeah. who it is for. So uh, that's that's what I'm hearing, not necessarily so much getting into numbers like you would do with Amazon, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the numbers portion of it will be similar to what we do on Amazon, just to understand, okay, well, if we want to actually move this to Amazon afterwards, um, we need to make sure that the demand is going to be there. So if the intention is to move to Amazon, then yeah. that's going to be an important part of it. But right. what we're trying to do here is we're trying to identify how we can actually create a product that's going to be... And that's going to stand out. And so if you can stand out off Amazon, then by the time you get to Amazon, you're going to do really well because a lot of sellers are uh, often kind of lazy. They're just doing the bare minimum private labeling. And it's not like they're they're investing a lot of effort into trying to figure out how they can actually create a product that's going to be uh, fairly distinct, that's defensible, that can be sustainable. And so this, this process will allow you to consider the fact that you can launch on Amazon afterwards. But uh, beforehand, you're actually going to be able to really think about how to have a hypothesis on how your product is going to stand out. And then later on, um, we can jump into this later, but the, the goal is actually to start building an audience around this and getting real customer feedback to validate this idea. So right now we're, we're, we're at the early phases, which is kind of to form our hypothesis. And the next step will be to essentially get feedback from actual customers in that target audience to, to start validating our idea way even before we launch. So we don't have to launch to find out that people want it or don't want it. We actually highly recommend, at least the way that we approach it, is that you want to get that validation well before because at some point you can actually learn that this is not exactly what people want. And that's really good feedback because you don't have to waste time, you don't have to waste money. Uh, it, it's a good opportunity to get that feedback well in advance. To all my listeners, how would you like to boost your Amazon sales by up to 600%? That means you must have a winning product detail page. Mindful Goods crafts product pages that pop. Their creative marketers ensure your products aren't just another face in the crowd, but they stand out and sell. From SEO-optimized copy to scroll-stopping visuals, they've got your back. And for a limited time, my listeners get $100 off a brand story service. Elevate your Amazon game with Mindful Goods. Visit www.mindfulgoods.co forward slash legends now and enter the code Amazon Legends to receive your $100 off. I mean, you've given very good examples. And what I heard that was in common with all those examples was people already had a product. They had an idea. They said, this is what I want to sell. And then they went out and then they did the research to validate in their research, their thoughts first, uh, not, oh, okay, let's launch a, a product. Let's see what it is. Let's see where there's, that's not the case because most people have a product idea. They, they have mm -hmm. something that they're thinking of they just don't know what kind of demand will will exist for it. So, so you can't start with something you have in mind, but you want to validate your ideas with your research first and identify the opportunity. And then with that opportunity, uh, now fall back on Amazon 
to research the numbers associated if that idea becomes successful, what is the potential? Because you may actually find an audience for it, but the numbers may not support it yet as a, a real uh, significant business to build. So, okay, I understand the roadmap. So, okay, uh, and really what you are getting in this process is people putting their money where their mouth is because you 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 can ask somebody, well, what do you think about this? It's, oh, I think it's great. Okay, will you write me a check for it? Nah, not really. <laughs> so it doesn't quite count as feedback. So that's the the nature of it. So here they'll actually write you a check, and then you'll create uh, what you call that audience that that following before you do anything with Amazon. So okay, so we've done the research, we validated. We know exactly what we're going to do. And now the ne next thing is what? Yeah. So the next thing is actually to, um, and I'm simplifying this a little bit, but the next thing is to uh, actually start validating. So now that you've validated it with looking at your research in the market, the next step is to start building an audience. And we call this a community because what we're looking to do is we want to get, uh, we want to get validation now from real people that are, interested in the products before launch. So the idea here is we can we can start getting in touch with people that are passionate about, let's say, dogs. And we say, hey, this is our idea. Um, this is what it's going to do. And a lot of people actually come to this in uh, different spectrums. Of, they either have an idea uh, at the early stage, or some people already come and they've established the product already, like they have a product prototype. So people come and, and they're curious about this process uh, at different stages. But regardless of where you're at, um, you can actually still get feedback from customers that is going to be very useful for you. So if you're in the very early stages where it's a product idea, um, getting in touch with potential target audience customers are going to allow you to find out, well, is this product a good idea? Um, does it, you know, are they thinking what I'm thinking? Um, you oh, know, if there's five different... Hold on. Uh, you, you're skipping several steps, which kind of give me, um, we need to clarify. I'm sitting sure. here at home. I've got an idea... And, and I went out, I did my research very thoroughly, and I know exactly what it is, what unique approach I have. Okay, so how am I approaching these people? Who are these people? How am I getting their information? Where is the, where, if I, does this, you understand? What are the yeah. steps in between before I ask a single question to a single oh, gotcha. person? Great question. So um, this is gonna be dependent on your niche. And so the question that I usually ask in the situation is where does your audience or where does your target audience hang out? So if you are, for example, a dog lover, you might find that there's, uh, you know, Facebook groups for dog lovers or Reddit communities for dog lovers or a local dog meetup where there's, you know, hundreds of people walking their dogs on a weekend uh, or like the idea is the point is you, you start looking for where people hang out. That is your target audience. And generally the online ways are easier because there's probably there's like, hundreds of groups that have like uh, tens of thousands of members that love dogs. So uh, in this situation, you would start looking for places where people hang out and you would start engaging in those communities. So it might be as simple as putting a post up on that community and saying, hey, um, you know, I, I want I want to talk to people that have uh, an interest in this, uh, you know, a dog automatic dog feeder or something like this or a dog toy that does this. Um, and so you, you start having these interactions and you don't need a lot of these interactions. You might just need five or 10 or 30 interactions before you, you get the sense that it's like, hey, you know, people really like this. This is a great idea. Uh, or you might just go to one Saturday to the local dog meetup and you have a conversation with a bunch of the owners there. And 
they, you know, they're like, hey, you know, I think this is not a very good idea, but this is what I would want. And if you hear that once or twice, then this can start shaping the hypothesis that you add to be in a different direction to be actually helpful feedback. Because often what we do, uh, at least in the Amazon world, is, I mean, we just look at the data and that's that's what we use to launch. But often if we're thinking of creating something new, uh, we might ask for friends. We might ask other sellers or, well, we don't ask other sellers because that's, a, you know, we don't want our idea out there. But we might use uh, things like PicFu or something like this. But the... The problem with that is that if you're asking your friends and family, uh, they're probably not going to, they're not, probably not in your target audience. So they're not giving you feedback that's the most helpful. If you're asking PicFu and these, you know, these types of like, um, you know, what do you like this versus this? We don't know who those people are. We have no idea if they're, if they're in a certain target age range, you know, if they're actually in your target audience in terms of dog lovers, maybe they're just, you know, we don't know anything about them. So in that range, it's actually a lot less helpful than to be able to find directly people that are going to be with your target audience. So that's why I asked, like to ask where they hang out. And then the second benefit of doing this, which is a kind of like a compound benefit of two things at the same time is not only are you getting feedback from these customers, you're starting to slowly build an audience of people that are interested in your products. So at the same time of getting feedback, you're developing this relationship with these people. So the more that you do this, the more customers now that you have interested in your product. So this is a way of building up an audience that's going to be ready to purchase your product when it comes time to launch. So this is the reason that we go through this process, number one, for feedback, and number two, to build an audience and build a community as we're going through this process. So it's no work is wasted. It's a, it's a benefit that's going to help us in, in multiple ways. So you're collecting uh, email addresses from these people that you are interacting with, ideally, right? So if you're going to have that communication going forward, that's what's needed, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we start with email addresses, but then we can we can turn email addresses. Once we have their email address, we can invite them to a Facebook group. Um, there's different ways that we can interact with them going forward. It also depends on your demographic um, and where they hang out. So um, what you choose to communicate with your audience with depends on those factors. But the idea here is you get uh, in communication with them and this becomes your launch list. So if you have 600 people on a list and you know 30% of them are interested, you already have, you know, 200 people that are ready to purchase your product on launch. And if it's a hundred dollar price point, that's, that's already a really significant yeah. launch. So, yeah. okay. So what is a good number to shoot for before you do anything? Uh, so you've done your interaction, you, you, you uh, offline, online, and then you've got a number of people on your list that, that you know that they were favorable for your idea. Uh, what is the number you're looking for before you move on to the next step? Sure. So that depends on your funding goal. So if you want to raise, uh, if you want to raise ten thousand dollars, that's going to be different than if your goal is a hundred thousand dollars. And so I, I don't, uh, we didn't mention this earlier, but for the Kickstarter campaigns, um, it's a limited time campaign. So it's up to sixty days. Um, you can choose zero days, one days to sixty days, and uh, that as soon as that campaign is over, it's over. But one thing that you have to select at the beginning is you have to select what your funding goal is. So you have to say, this is how much money I want to raise as a part of this campaign. And if you hit this goal, then uh, Kickstarter gives you, you know, gives you the funds at the end of the campaign. So within 15 days, you get paid from, from Kickstarter. Um, if you don't hit your goal, then you don't get any of it. So um, we generally recommend that the funding goal is very uh set fairly low, um, anywhere between ten to $20,000 to $30,000, depending on what's actually needed for your for your launch. 
But the idea here is we want to hit this funding goal within the first 24 to 48 hours. And um, and once you hit this, um, you know, the, the trick is that uh, there's an algorithm just like Amazon where you start to get organic ranking within uh, the Kickstarter platform. So that's why it's so important to build up this audience. And so to answer your question, uh, how big should this audience be? That depends on a few things. It depends on how big your funding goal is. So the larger the funding goal, the more people you want on your list in advance. Um, and then the other thing is how active your list and how engaged your list is. So if you're sending emails to them and everybody's opening the emails and you have an 80% open rate, then and people are responding to your questions or you're sending out a survey and then everybody's filling it out, then you're going to have a way more engaged list than somebody who is having a 5% open rate. So it's not about the quantity of emails, but it's about the level of engagement and participation that these people are um, engaging with uh, prior to the campaign. So we use this as an indicator for how healthy our audience is before we choose to launch. So um, we know that we're generally going to be successful when we launch. We we have 100% success rate when it comes to launching. And the reason for this is that we don't launch until we know that we have enough of an audience and enough of a support to move to the stage of let's get ready for launch. So uh, yeah. that's a slightly longer answer to your short question. I want to introduce Cellcore to all my listeners. As you all know, it's essential to add another selling channel to Amazon. Even though Walmart is the natural addition, you need the know-how to hit the ground running. Cellcord is a Walmart-approved agency for launching and scaling Amazon brands on Walmart and even getting you into Walmart stores. They manage over 400 brands and 100,000 products. They were kind enough to offer my listeners a free comprehensive audit and a $500 statement credit. Visit www.cellcord.co forward slash legends and mention Amazon Legends to activate this offer. But do it quickly because this offer may not last long. www.cellcord.co forward slash legends so based on everything we discussed so far um if i divide this into phases phase one is research you don't do a thing you don't there's no no logistics involved it's just simply doing your research um outside amazon to find an opportunity for a need uh, for for something could be anything audience material whatever once you can start with amazon also yeah. And you can you can and also you start on Amazon it. if that's where you're doing research. Yeah, and then you you back that up with with data, and uh, so wherever you find that opportunity, back that up with data, and so we call that phase one. If we were to call that phase one, that's all you doing it. And then the next thing is to really uh, so phase two would be to build that audience. But what takes to build an audience that will ultimately write your checks? is going to depend on how used to they are in interacting with you in numbers that are meaningful for your next phase. So go out and meet people, build your mailing list, but also engage them through interactions so that you know that when you finally reach out to them and say, can you do this for me? I'm now going all the way. Number one, they're going to open it up and read it. 
Number two, that they're going to take action on it. So what you are doing in the process of your interaction is building your metrics, so to speak. What is the open rate? What is the response rate? You know, do one of the favorite things that I, I have is a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, uh, has on his, there's no group, no nothing. He's just my contact on Facebook. He posts a question like once a week. What is your favorite movie of all time? What is your favorite travel destination of all time? What is your, and then one day I said to him, listen, I see these questions. And then of course I answer. And, and why do you keep asking these things? What do you get out of it? He says, it's called engagement. <laughs> I'm trying to keep my connections active at all times. So I know how many people are responding to any question I put, how many people are seeing it and things like that. So, so keep the engagement. So in phase two, keep the engagement high uh, without really asking them to do anything for you, but just asking questions or, uh, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So now that you have, and, and by the way, you're doing all this based on how much you want to raise. So uh, some of those engagement rates, open rates and everything else, a part of it will translate into how many people will actually write you checks and based on the amount that, that you want to raise. So, okay. So we've done all that. And we set the goal, we're going to raise $25,000. And we have a pretty good idea about how many people we have on the list and what my, our engagement rate is. So um, let's move on to the next phase. Sure. So um, presumably, we're going to be uh, we're going to be at the same time uh, refining the product. I mean, assuming the product is good to go, because in many situations, actually, people come to me and their product is already ready. So in this particular situation, when they get feedback from the customers, uh, it's not necessarily about refining the product because they've already decided what the product is going to be. This is more about understanding how to, um, what we talked about earlier, position the product. So let's say we have a, you know four or five, six different benefits of this product or features, and uh, you know I think it's going to this is I, I think this is going to be most marketable. But when we start asking our audience, they might tell us something different. So what we're doing is we're using the feedback to also improve the way that we market and sell the product to present it to the customers in a way that makes them want to buy it. So this is where we're kind of doing very, very um, valuable market research to get the customers to tell us what they need for us to present this to them in a way that they're going to want to buy it. So um, this is going to be very helpful um, to point out because this is also relevant in terms of product feedback, but this is more product positioning feedback. And so once we have a lot of this data, then it's about preparing the campaign page. So this is equivalent to your product, uh, your Amazon product listing page to be able to uh, start setting this up. So um, it, this is going to require, of course, assets. So, you know, photo, um, copy, and uh, the main kind of uh, feature at the top of the video. So uh, the interesting and, and the positive thing about this is this: these are assets that you would have needed to launch on Amazon. So you would have needed photos. You would have needed copy. Um, I mean, some people are debating about video nowadays, but I think investing in high quality video is really, really valuable for many reasons um, to have on Amazon. So I think these are really, really key assets. So the only caveat is some people on Amazon, they're going to cheap out and get their friends, cousins, uh, girlfriends to take photos because they're a photographer. Um, here, you really just want to, if you've reached this point, 
you know, you have customers interested, you're building this audience, you really just want to invest in the assets because this is this is not just for the campaign, this is not just for Kickstarter, this is going to be used on Amazon as well. This is going to be used on your ads. Uh, if you have an email list and you're launching a Shopify store, this is going to be used in your emails and your Facebook ads, whatever it is, you're investing in the, the future of this product and this brand. So um, this is a good opportunity to invest in those assets. So the idea is you're going to put together this campaign page, which is a story that story that tells you know, tells your customer, your your audience, why they should be supporting you, why they would be interested in supporting you, what they're going to get with the product. And so this is essentially a, an extended product listing page uh, that's going to get people excited to purchase your product. So you're going to you're going to create this, and you're going to develop this in advance, just like you would develop for an Amazon launch. So this is not extra work. Um, this is just work at a different uh, stage uh, with with my recommendation of a higher quality type of investment in the assets. Yeah. So you're building your content and are you factoring in any of the things that you would do with Amazon, like keywords or anything like that? Or are you simply telling your story and presenting the, the pictures and the video about the product? You, you don't really necessarily factor in keywords at this stage. Um, for the most part, you're just doing your best to make this marketable when people see this page. So uh, later on, you can optimize for SEO because you know uh, there's a good point here, which is this this page. Once you're successful, it stays on it stays on Google forever. Like it stays on Kickstarter, but also index, indexes very well on Google. So my campaigns that were successful, if you search my product name or my brand name, uh, these these products are always in the top three of Google. So uh, any successful campaign that I've launched or any of our clients or members in our program have launched. Uh, they index very, very well on Google. So anytime anybody searches your product or your brand name, we're going to find your product. So this is an awesome opportunity to kind of index for SEO. Uh, but that's a different topic. But what you're asking is in terms of preparing the page, um, yeah. do you need to do you need to prepare like any type of um, uh, you know focus on SEO or keywords? Um, at this stage, not really. You're just trying to make this marketable and meaningful for the person that's going to look at it. You just tell your story and and put the pictures and the videos together with the words so that people get the idea. Okay. Uh, so uh, I, what, one thing I want to cover, because I don't know this, I, I, I've never done it. So um, I need to know for anybody who's never done it uh, with Amazon, you have, like I said, you have a brand registry and you have a seller central account. And also you have a professional selling plan and you have individual plan. So there's all these different options. So uh, tell us with Kickstarter, is there such a thing? And what about the trademark issues and things like that? Uh, yeah, great question. There, there's nothing like this on Kickstarter. Um, really, the, the way to get a um, listing approved is you just submit a, uh, a draft of your campaign page, which is your product listing page. And uh, they look at it. Uh, if they look at the product, it seems like they you've shown that the product exists, uh, they're they're generally going to improve it unless it's in a category of restricted products, um, which is things like, you know, um, like drugs or weapons and things like this. Uh, but for the most part, if they if they believe that your product exists, um, which is why earlier we said you need a working prototype, um, that that's how they approve your campaign page. So uh, if if they don't see anything glaringly wrong with it, they just approve it like that. So there's no uh, there's no brand registry. There's no equivalent of that. It's more of um, they want to know that your product is uh, it is something that is exists so that their audience is not going to get um, uh, screwed from uh, from buying something that is a, a like a phantom product or an imaginary product. 
Yeah. So you need a, a, a working prototype. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So somewhere in between um, research and getting your campaign, you also need to build a working prototype. So that's an important yes. piece of detail. But obviously, exactly. we're not talking quantity. We're just working uh, working prototype. Okay. Yeah. You just need one. Um, and so that's so you just need the prototype and you need the campaign page. And those are your requirements for being able to get approved by Kickstarter to launch. Now the campaign page is up. So what are you doing next? So, um, well, before the campaign, so all of these activities leading up to the day it goes live on Kickstarter, um, I would categorize under pre-launch activities. So your pre-launch activities probably account for like 80% of your work, um, 80, right. 90% because you're preparing in advance. Um, there's things that you can do during the campaign, but that's not as significant as making sure that you're prepared before your launch. So when we talk about, okay, well, what are we doing during launch? A lot of that stuff has actually happened prior to the launch. So we've built up our audience. Uh, we've been engaging with them, uh, maybe sending them surveys, maybe sending them product updates of like, hey, here's how it's going so far. Here's our newest prototype, this type of thing. Um, we do something called a launch countdown sequence. So there's two strategies, uh, but the main one that we focus on in terms of preparation for the launch is we call this launch countdown sequence. So seven or 10 days before the launch, we're going to start really focusing on announcing the launch date and time. So the idea is we want to get this into our, the minds of the customers that to be ready to purchase that date. And there's a bunch of embedded strategies into this, for example, having a certain number of uh, early birds or super early birds where they get a better price. So it encourages them to buy on the first day when they see it. Um, there's a lot of other things we can do kind of in this realm. But the idea is how can we get as many people on, in our audience to buy on day one within the first 24 to 48 hours as possible? And if we can encourage a lot of those people, we hit our goal very quickly. This is going to start to um, get attention for the Kickstarter algorithm. And we're going to start being able to get some organic lift within the the, the actual um, platform as well. Okay. So you really need to plan your action, so to speak, build that sequence. Uh, what's the value proposition for asking them to do whatever you're asking them to do? And then... And that will, it's just like Amazon. When you launch something, you have the honeymoon period where you're supposed to perform the best and then that will get you better exposure and ultimately get you ranked. So this is the same kind of situation where yeah, right after launch, within the first 24 to 48 hours, you have the most people writing you checks, bottom line. But you have to work up to it with your pre-launch sequence. Okay. Yeah. So pre-launch engagement, pre-launch preparation. This is all kind of building up towards that uh, that launch date to get them excited. So um, that's uh, so that's what you're really doing, and that's actually not like you're not doing this at launch. You're doing this uh, before, yeah. and to make sure that the the momentum is going to be there during during launch. Yeah. So this is called setting yourself up for success right from the get go. Right. So that's what you are doing. Uh, now there is something you said earlier which is important. So you set your funding goal and the timeline is limited to 60 days. It can't go beyond 60 days. And we're talking about Kickstarter. And if you meet your goal or exceed your goal, at the end of those 60 days, they will release the funds to you. Okay. If not, you fall short. Then what happens? Tell us about that. Um, well, everybody just gets refunded. Um, this is uh, like if you wanted to raise fifty and you raise, you know, forty-five, um, everybody gets their um, 
everybody gets a refund essentially. The the project is not considered to be successful because um, you didn't hit your goal, and that's what Kickstarter thinks that you needed to be able to deliver this project successfully because that's what you set your goal to be. So if you can't deliver, well, I mean, if you're missing money to deliver, let's say you wanted to raise $500,000 and you only raised $100,000, they wouldn't give you that money because they would assume that you can't actually deliver because that your goal was needed to, to be $500,000. So uh, that's kind of the other way of trying to protect the customers, um, assuming that the person that's selling has made the right estimates for what they need to be able to launch your product. Yeah, so it's why it's important to, to make sure that you are setting a goal that's uh, so to speak uh, it's a realistic goal so yes. uh, i should say smart goal right for sma yeah. so are there fees involved in this so if you raise fifty thousand dollars exactly you get the exact fifty thousand or do they have fees yeah so there's um kickstarter has a five percent fee and there's a three percent payment processing fee that's um from the payment processor so 8% fee total um, with Kickstarter, which, I mean, for most people, that's really not that much. I mean, Amazon's, I mean, even this, the, the the Amazon fee for most people is like double or triple that. So um, it's, uh, it, it, this is really not going to be where you're hit with uh, whether or not the campaign is successful financially. Um, yeah. it, most people have no issues with, uh, with being uh, financially successful with, with the campaigns. Yeah. I mean, of course, when you, when you have no money to start with, and then you're raising this, the fees will come out. But it's something to factor into the calculations because eight percent yeah. is is not a big amount, but it's also not very small amount either. So it's something to factor into the calculations. Okay, so you've done your pre-launch sequence, and now the campaign went live, and so on that first day. What is the announcement like? Is it's just you making the announcement and saying that the campaign is live, or uh, how, walk us through how that happens and immediately after launch? Yeah, so um, I'll use an example from my my um, my most recent launch, um, which was these coffee coffee glasses. Um, so my first product on Kickstarter um, did about six hundred fifty thousand on my first launch. So that was my kind of like introduction to Kickstarter. And uh, that was a coffee maker, the cold brew coffee maker. And so my second product was actually an idea from our audience. It was a, they wanted to see a cup and a glass. And so we ended up using the feedback from, so this is another cool thing is that you can, once you develop a relationship with the audience, they can start giving you ideas for product. So um, this product was a coffee glass. We called it Eventy. And the idea was that it enhances the way that uh, coffee smells and tastes, just like wine glasses. Um, so, um, we prepared for this launch and we got a lot of feedback from interactions from customers while in advance and leading up to the um leading up to the campaign um we we kept teasing the product so it's like hey here's the feature number one feature number two feature number three so counting down all the way to the launch date and so all of these emails contain the exact launch time and date so uh, we're going to be telling them hey uh, on you know august First, we're going to be launching this this product at 7 a.m. Eastern time or something like this. And people are ready for this time. So um, we're going to be signing reminder emails all the way up until this point, including the launch email that goes live on that day. And so this is what allows you to get that momentum. We already had an, an audience that was excited about coffee. And so we had a $20,000 funding goal. We hit that within the first, pretty much the first hour. Um, and it this is the the momentum that's driven to kind of by your messaging and your emails to get your audience excited. 
Cool. So people know exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And then when it does happen, then finally they go and they can purchase. Yeah. So during this time, the, the idea is we're building excitement and 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 like people getting excited and, and ready for it. Um, we're teasing features. We're teasing, uh, you know, different elements about the product that could be interesting. Um, and so it's just kind of this like uh, this this process where we get build excitement around the launch. And so by the time we reach the launch, people are ready to pull out their wallets and uh, and and put down the put down the order. Cool. So, in your experience, let's say that you're gonna raise twenty thousand dollars or twenty five thousand. You said at the beginning. So we raise the twenty five thousand. That automatically translates into quantity, right? So people are buying this item. So it means so many pieces are already pre-ordered and paid for, and that's the indication of mm-hmm. the demand. So as far as translating that to Amazon, in your experience, does that replicate on one-to-one or double, triple? What I mean, th- this is very hard to answer, but uh, is, is it ever possible that, oh, you know, Kickstarter, because the spirit of the people, is support, right? Obviously, commercial interest is one thing, but the spirit is also important, the motivation. Uh, so does it replicate? What is your experience with that? Yeah, so this is where the Amazon research data is helpful to understand what what potential that you can expect within the Amazon platform. If you're, and it obviously depends on product category, there's so many variables. But um, if we're looking at uh, Amazon performance data, that's going to give us the best indicator of what that will look like when it comes to moving over to Amazon. And the benefit of, um, of well, a few things. Well, if we're working on developing a unique product, this is going to stand out on Amazon and it's going to be helpful. Um, we get a whole bunch of other benefits like, well, we immediately get access to these customers. So it's not like Amazon where you can't communicate with them by email. Another massive benefit of doing it this way is you automatically get the emails of everyone who's purchased your product. So you can actually communicate with them. So you can say, hey, uh, I'm going to launch on Amazon now. Um, you know, thanks for supporting. I'm going to give you a you know promo code or something like this uh, to share this with your friends and family who like also like dogs um, and uh, you know take advantage of it during this time frame. So you can actually immediately have an access to an audience that cares about your niche, might be buying the product again for themselves or for a friend and uh, engage immediately to help you launch on Amazon. So there's a lot of benefits to kind of like this, um, essentially there's a lot of benefits to having access to your own audience. And this is something that Amazon obviously makes very difficult because of obvious reasons. But um, once you start playing this game, it becomes a very, very different game because now you have an audience that cares about what you do. So with our product, for example, uh, we had about 10,000 customers uh, before they launched from our first campaign. we had a million dollar campaign across uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and pre-order uh, upsells. And so, in our second campaign, when we launched the coffee product, uh, we we essentially, obviously, reached out to this audience that was already excited about coffee. So when we, when we launched, we had our funding goal within the first hour, and the the coolest thing was at the end of the campaign, we raised about three hundred three hundred nineteen thousand dollars, and we looked at the stats. And about 5% of our customers from the initial campaign uh, came back to support the second campaign. So 5%, that doesn't sound like a very, very big number, but when we looked at the actual revenue that was generated by those customers, it was about $39,000 of uh, sales from 
initial customers. So imagine being able to launch your product to your own audience without PPC spending, without giveaways or you know these, these other tactics to try to arbitrarily get momentum. You actually have people that are ready to support your product when you launch. So when you launch product two, product three, accessory one, accessory two, product four, there's people that are in this niche that care about what you're doing. So the one of the biggest benefits of this approach is that you're building a relationship with a customer that really cares about what you're doing. And this can really help you scale your e-commerce results, being able to launch every single time and get you know twenty to forty thousand dollars of sales from your own audience is is a massive advantage for sellers. And we don't have to go about these weird roundabout ways to try to get momentum on yeah. the platforms if we had this yeah. option, right? Well, I mean, you know, we, we talk about it over and over. We're trying to get influencers. We're trying to run PPC campaigns. We're trying to run social media campaigns. All that is to build a following for your for your product. And, and it costs money. And it takes time. So here you have an audience already that wrote checks for you. And they feel for you. So... And they don't, they don't cost anything, right? So it's a no-brainer. And I'm not surprised that uh, generating $39,000 out of 5% of the people, it's uh, because it's the, the, the old 80-20 rule, right? So it's the same situation. So it makes total sense. Well, I mean, this is a, a very, uh, to me, when, when I listen to you and then you walk through the, the steps and and why and then your fallback on why Amazon data will be important is I mean that's how you know it will replicate or not so uh, so you know ahead of time so you just have to now figure out the logistics of the Amazon operation and then simply leverage your audience in the process so uh, it's a great conversation man so this is a this is a great discovery on your part. So my hat is off to you, and uh, and and you're helping a lot of people. And what I love about this whole thing is you're not producing anything. There's no lead time. There's no nothing. There's no bringing inventory without knowing what's going to happen. So it's a it's a big deal. So um, everybody listening, definitely, I would I would say. Give it a shot. There is no harm. You just have to, whatever that you have to do, you have to do anyway. So there's nothing here other than just putting up a campaign page, build, doing your research, building your audience, uh, your email, your your assets that you're going to build. You're going to have to do anyway. So you may as well do it without also having to do anything for building an inventory, at least your initial band. So. It's a great conversation, man. Uh, congratulations. So I'm sure people are very happy with this program. <laughs> and and you teach this, right? Uh, you have a, a, a Playground Theory is your company that, that you teach. Yeah, Playground Theory is um, the company for this accelerator program that I have, which is called the Launch Accelerator Blueprint. So uh, this blueprint is kind of the, the way that we use to execute the campaigns. And uh, this is our system that we developed through our own launches. So we've launched a few campaigns of our own and we've, through the process, and often this is how things happen, is just, we didn't really plan on getting into this, but a lot of people started asking for help and like, how do you do this? And so that's how we ended up uh, kind of putting together our knowledge to launch uh, campaigns. So we, 
we've raised about $7 million collectively from all of the campaigns that we were involved in launching. And this is not e-commerce results. Um, this is just pre-order launches. So this is uh, this is just essentially the results that we get from accumulating all of the pre-orders of the, of all the campaigns that have been launched through our, through our system. So great. Um, so um, this is great. I'm sure people will take advantage of it. So uh, let's now, uh, we got to know all about your program. Uh, let's now get to know you a little bit. So tell us, who is Vance Lee? And what I'm interested in the most is your early life experiences. So I know, you know, at the beginning, you were a nine to five guy, and then you went into video. And But well before that, what was it like growing up? And what were your interests that obviously they led them to where you are today? Great question. <laughs> uh, when I was young, I, I think I wasn't, I mean, when you're a kid, you're not thinking about businesses and, and this type of thing. I wasn't even thinking of travel when I was a kid. But I think when I was young, I um, I, I was really into sports. I was really into like physical fitness, like these types of things that were just kind of fun for me as a child. Um, and I, I mean, I got a lot of inspiration from my father, who was an entrepreneur at the time. He, he owned a restaurant and he always kind of like tried different things. So I, growing up, I always saw... I didn't call it entrepreneurship and I don't think anybody back then used that like buzzword, but it was just somebody that was doing something to, to you know, do their best to create something that would make a better life for themselves. Right. And so I grew up seeing my dad do that. And a lot of my childhood actually was like, like working and uh, doing stuff for my dad, uh, you know, delivering the flyers and uh, working at the restaurant, sometimes answering phone calls. And so I, I kind of got an early start in, uh, in responsibility, I think, which shaped my life a lot. But uh, outside of that, just uh, really into fitness and those types of things that really kind of kept me going in terms of uh, just keeping my body going. Let me understand your environment first, uh, growing up. So where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, a city outside of Toronto, like a smaller city outside of Toronto in, in Canada. So uh, Toronto, Canada, um, a, a city that's about 40, 45 minutes um, away from Toronto. And, and a small town? Uh, smallish. I mean, compared to Toronto, small. Yeah. Okay. So, and your father was he? He he always had a restaurant, or did he decide to open a restaurant? What was that? I I was at a young age. Maybe it was right before I was born that he opened this restaurant. Um, I think he was trying other things. Uh, he, uh, he was just experimenting with things. And by the time I was born, the restaurant was there. Uh, I don't remember it at that age, but uh, that was I grew up. Um, with the fact that he had this restaurant that he was working at on a regular basis. So you're coming into an environment where you know that you eat what you kill, right? That's the that's the entrepreneur's life, right? So you eat what you kill, and in order to eat, and in order to uh, keep it going, you have to come up with something new. And that's what you are seeing growing up, your dad trying different things all the time, right? Pretty much, yeah. And then eventually he uh, he started learning massage therapy and um, acupuncture and these types of interesting kind of uh, uh, therapy modalities. And uh, and then he he moved towards that. So at a certain point in my life, I was in grade eight, I believe, um, grade seven, grade eight. He was already learning this, and then he kind of moved into like the health health and healing path. And uh, and I, I just uh, he's still on this path now. Uh, but that's that's what I saw growing up as a as a kid. It's just um, you know this this man trying his best, doing different things, and exploring different ways that he could uh, he could do well for himself. So 
this is this is very interesting to me. You see, what's happening is you grew up seeing people taking risks, trying new things. And now you are involved in supporting people trying new things, right? It's <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, things coming full circle. You have become, you have almost become, there's the, all these people coming to your playground theory program or, you know, doing anything where you are involved. Your, your whole involvement is... Mm nurturing these people trying new things you've become their surrogate dad <laughs> i never thought about it this way but that's a that's a very that's a very well put way to describe it <laughs> well i mean i i don't see any other any other way to see it but when i hear this it's it's always the same because people just go back to whatever was in their nurturing environment in the first place so and then you go to so you, you grow up and and the other thing is, of course, in order to sustain this, you have that fitness, mental and physical fitness, and you are active. And uh, so, um, and, and then tell us more. Once you are at an age where, you know, you've got your education and everything, how did you transition into the working life, so to speak? Uh, well, I, I, I dabbled with entrepreneurship in a different way uh, earlier on. And I'd never thought about it as that, but um, when I was in university, I started getting involved in, you know, student associations, student clubs, and all these types of things that were kind of interesting when it came to uh, creating things. So I got involved in um, some uh, a student group where I led this group to create lots of events and a fa charity fashion show and, you know, parties and things like this. So it was kind of like a uh, an opportunity for me to 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 learn about how to deal with people and leadership and organization and and strategy and all these types of things and that was my first kind of entryway into working with projects and my first entrepreneurship project was actually a um, education uh, platform um, back then it wasn't very easy and it wasn't very supported nowadays like entrepreneurship is like yeah go for it everyone and there's resources on youtube and instagram and tiktok and everybody's talking about it but back then it wasn't like a very prevalent thing and i had a, a, a roommate back at the time a good friend of mine we started this company called study monkey and this company was a um, it's a notes platform where you could buy and sell notes so if you're a, a good student you can upload your notes there and then uh, people that need notes they can go download them and pay for a certain amount and uh, we would take a cut as the website. So we actually did this for about a year uh, before we realized that we both weren't passionate about it. And it just became a good experience to, <laughs> to, to kind of go through this, like uh, this attempt to build something and to, to, to take it from, from nothing to, you know, to, to potentially something. Uh, and it, it, it didn't really make it there in the end. We got to a couple of universities, but it wasn't a, uh, you know, it wasn't that hit, you know, it, it wasn't one of those kind of, like dot com stories of a successful a successful platform, but it was a good learning experience. And then after that, I uh, I kind of took a little bit of a break and went back to like a, a regular job, uh, kind of to, to to regroup and decide what I wanted to do. And that's after what kind of led to the you know the video production agency uh, that you mentioned, and eventually the the Amazon business. Yeah. So what I want to know also is. You are doing this nine to five job. That's become, if you like, your mindset. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. You've had a, 
a startup experience and didn't really go as hopeful as you, you, you were at the beginning. And now you're doing this job. Of course, it's the financial security somehow, you know, that it gives you the media production. And then, and then you think, well, I, I don't want to be in just one place. I want to travel. And then how do you go from full-time job with financial security to wanting to travel the world while selling on Amazon? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think what motivated this was my first trip to Thailand. And I got here and it was my first trip across this side of the world by myself. I'd come here, uh, I'd come to Asia before with my family when I was younger, but it was my first trip that I took by myself. And I just had a really great experience of this idea of exploring and traveling. And there's something about it that just uh, lit a fire within within me. So uh, I I asked myself the question, well, what do I need to do to do this all the time? Or how can I make this my life? And when I went back to uh, to Toronto, I I started researching and started thinking, about, okay, what what can I do? What's what's possible to create this opportunity? And I had I had a friend that was selling on Amazon at the time who he was just starting out as well, but he told me about Amazon. Uh, I mean, not like that wasn't the first time I found out about Amazon, but like in terms of Amazon as a business. And you know, I said if this is going to if this is going to be the the opportunity that I have. Uh, I mean, it's the first thing that came across my table at the time. So I said, you know what, let's let's just go for it. I mean, there's not much of a, uh, I'm not in a situation where if I failed, I would be homeless. Uh, I could at any point get, get a job if I wanted to. Like this, the, the, the downside was not very high, uh, but the upside had a lot of opportunity, which is for me to be able to actually create the life that I wanted. So I think in that situation, it, it, for me, it was it wasn't a very difficult decision to say, "Hey, let's go for the upside," and that's just what happened. Yeah. Well, clearly, it was the right decision, and then they led you to a place that you are most familiar with, and that's helping people with their ideas and you know showing them the way. So it's a great conversation, and uh, anybody who's got a job out there that relies on that paycheck that feels it's comfortable. Well, there is a better world and a better life. And as, as you just, you know, outlined. Yeah. This- I mean, I think this life is not for everyone. Um, it's just, I think it's important for people, in my opinion, to ask, what is that better life for me? Because it might not be to travel the world. It might not be to uh, to work online. Like these things are might not be important to some people. But I think the people that need to ask this question, at least they they should ask it once to understand, you know, am I lying to myself? Am I just accepting this because this is safe or comfortable? If they don't ever ask the question, then I think it's very difficult for them to to know what the reality is. And the reality could be that, hey, I am very happy with this nine to five job. If that's the case, then continue with what you're doing. But I think for a lot of people, that is not the what they want. And deep down in their heart, they might feel the safety and the, the money is there, but deep down in their heart, they, they know that that's not what they desire. And uh, if they were to be honest with themselves, they might say, hey, 
there might be something else that I want. And that's really hard to admit because once you admit that, then you might have to take responsibility for taking actions to do the thing that you want, which is, I think, a challenge for a lot of people. So, um, But I think for a lot of people, they should ask. And um, it might be that they don't want anything like this. Um, they might not even want to start a business. But I think for a lot of people that are listening and you know they have this inkling, like they have this feeling inside that there might be something that they want that's different from their their current situation, there's something better out there. And I think it's about asking the questions to understand what that is for, for each individual. It's going to be different. Yeah. You know, there is a, the principle I've always lived my life uh, by. And that this is a long time ago. Growing up, I, I don't remember exactly what was the, the incident. But uh, I developed this idea that I never want to ask myself one day, I wonder what would have happened if I had done this. And I thought, I don't want to live in a way where one day I'm going to have things that I thought about doing, but I never did. And I wonder what would have happened if I had acted on those things. So, so this is not to say that jump into things without knowing, but think about it. You can live a whole life with something you want to do, and you never do it. And then there comes a point that you can't do those things anymore. And, and then it's, it's there. And, and I thought, I never want to be in that position ever. So I did things that whatever I thought, as a, not little things, but big things in life, changing lifestyle, changing job, changing whatever, company, and relationships, you name it. Relationships that, that, I wondered, would it work? Would it not work? Uh, companies, you know, anything. So uh, I don't want a life where once somebody says, when somebody one day says, what if I had done this? And that was, I think, uh, the thing that drove me. And, and in this, your, your story, I, I hear something similar where mm -hmm. you wanted something and you didn't want it to just be stuck with what you had. You, you just wanted to take action on it. It's a great story, Vance. Yeah, and I think we all have a version of this, which is maybe it's in our business. Hey, we want to take that next that next step or that next level to that other opportunity. Um, you know, maybe it's about forming a new partnership with someone. Like, there's so many things that this is a uh, this is applicable to. It's not just about like, hey, let's quit my job and 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 start this business. But it could be a lot of things that it might be like small incremental things that are just uncomfortable. We're not exactly sure. You know, this is the right thing for us, but we don't necessarily want to 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 kind of move out of that to to challenge what's what's kind of working. And I think what you said was a great way to describe it, which is like, do you want to really wonder at some point later in your life, what if, uh, you know, what if, Yeah. you know, that's a, I think that's a scary enough question already. So, uh, you know, it's either you live with the pain of, you know, thinking what if, or you just go for it and just see what happens when you, when you gave it a shot and uh, whatever happened, happened. Yeah. 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 You know what they say, uh, you don't know if you're going to fail or succeed in, in whatever you want to do, but the failure is guaranteed if you never try. So tell us, how can people reach you, share your contact information with us? Sure. Um, you can definitely reach me at uh, my website, uh, livemyplayground.com. So L-I-V-E, 
mypplayground.com. And uh, if you're interested in uh, this crowdfunding idea or pre-orders, and this is uh, this is kind of piqued your interest in some way, uh, I have some free resources that you can definitely download uh, as a walkthrough of uh, the crowdfunding process, how it works, 100% uh, free. Um, you just have to go to livemyplayground.com. Uh, slash uh, legends and that's going to be where you can find access to the resources and just download them and uh, and you can get in touch with me there if you wanted to uh, to, to find my contact and great very kind of you so uh, the, give us the URL again uh, liveplayground.com forward slash legend um, so live my playground so L-I-V-E M-Y playground P-L-A-Y-G-R-O-U-N-D dot com uh, and if we can post the link, that'd be awesome. Um, but otherwise, yeah. you can find my, uh, you know, find that and uh, slash legends, and that's where you're going to get the uh, the free walkthrough of resources, which is, essentially takes you from uh, a lot of the into a lot more detail of what we talked about today and how to execute and each of those components to 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 be effective at a pre-order launch. So hopefully, that's going to be a unique way that you can consider thinking outside the box to either start your business or scale your business. Uh, because there, there's, you know, to be competitive nowadays, um, thinking outside of the box is really, really beneficial rather than just trying to do what everybody else is already doing. Yeah, yeah, great. So we will post the URL and your contact information with your episode. So I'm sure people will, people will take advantage of it. Uh, thank you, Vince. Thank you for being here. Great conversation. And uh, I'm grateful for for your participation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Before I wrap up, I want to remind everyone to visit www.cellcore.co forward slash legends and mention Amazon Legends to get a free comprehensive audit and a $500 statement credit. It's time to conquer Walmart with Cellcore by your side. Also, don't forget to get your winning product detail page from mindfulgoods.co and get up to 600% boost in your sales. You will get $100 off the service. Visit www.mindfulgoods.co forward slash legends and enter the code Amazon Legends to enjoy your $100 off. And this brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you in the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode, and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.